0: now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another Stand Up For The Truth podcast. We
1: appreciate you guys. A lot of questions are coming in, and people people want answers. And uh, during this season, it seems like uh, people are more open to seeking the truth. So we've got a special guest today, and let's get to that right after we open in prayer. Father, uh, thank you for this opportunity to encourage the body of Christ and to um, hopefully point people to the truth and to uh, remind believers of the hope that they and we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you again for the recent reminder during the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, and thank you for what that means to us. We do not any longer need to fear death. So we pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith. We pray for strength and wisdom as we live out these days according to your will and what you want us to do as long as we have breath. um, May you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a lot of people have questions, and I have a special guest today that's gonna help us talk about some issues that you are concerned about. Got Questions is a ministry that has been around since 2002, seeking to glorify Jesus by providing biblical, applicable, and timely answers to spiritually related questions through a major internet presence. A lot of people are using that search. Today's guest, Shay Hoodman, is the founder and CEO of GotQuestions.org. He received a Bachelor of Arts degree in Biblical Studies from Calvary University and a Master's of Arts in Christian Theology from Calvary Theological Seminary. Shay, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. thanks for having me on the show you're very welcome we appreciate you getting up with us this morning um before we get to the current topics i want to remind our newer listeners that we had shay on once before a few months ago and here are some of the things we discussed at that time Uh, what does the bible say about divorce and remarriage where where was jesus for the three days between his death and resurrection Uh, what does the bible say about women pastors What about homosexuality? Is it a sin? What does the Bible say about pandemic diseases and sicknesses? We discussed these last time. We'll put the link to that podcast in today's show notes. But we are going to talk a little bit about pandemics and diseases, sicknesses. We have a question next. Why would God allow COVID-19? But first, Shay, um, there's a televangelist, Kenneth Copeland, that we've talked about a lot on this podcast He calls for a supernatural heat wave to kill coronavirus in New York City. And I guess he, um, apparently in this video or this online sermon, he blew from his mouth, blew wind of God, I guess, to kill the virus, and he rebuked it. And I just want to ask you, where is this taught in the Bible?
2: Um, Can I just respond with it's not?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, yes, good answer. Moving on.
2: (laughs) Kenneth Copeland um, is of the Persuasion Prosperity Gospel Word Faith Movement where um, most in the movement believe that it's always God's will for Christians to be um, healthy and wealthy. And obviously this focuses on the health side of that, where um, it's always God's will to heal a Christian. It's always God's will for a Christian to be perfectly healthy. So He believes that therefore this disease is not God's will. It's not something that God desires. Um, Therefore, God would want it to go away. Um, So he believes that God has given um, certain people with the gift of healing, the gift of faith, the ability, the power to heal others. And Kenneth Copeland has been a leader in that movement for, oh, wow, probably a couple of decades at least. And so that's the persuasion he's coming from. But if you just look at the um, what the Bible tells us about how healing miracles occurred, how they were um, actually fairly rare, um, primarily limited to certain eras in biblical history, and even in the time of um, Jesus and the apostles, where healing miracles were happening quite a lot, um, far more people were not healed than were healed. Where Jesus went to um, the area where the pool of Bethesda, where the Um, the one man who got into the pool would be healed. Well, he chose to heal one person out of all the people who were there. So it does not seem like it was even at that time always God's will for everyone to be healed. So now Kenneth Copeland, um, I hope his motives are good. I hope he truly believes that um, God would do a miracle like that through him. And of course we believe that God is perfectly capable of ridding the world of um, the coronavirus in an instant. But um, that does not seem to be the way that God normally functions. Um, Yes, God heals, often heals um, miraculously. Um, Sometimes God heals in response to prayers that people have um, uttered for other people. But um, to say that one person can just declare a pandemic disease out of existence um, seems pretty presumptive and doesn't mm-hmm. seem to match with reality or what the Bible actually um, says about healing.
1: And uh, the Bible, uh, mainly in the Old Testament, um, there are numerous uh, occasions when uh, God brought plagues and diseases, caused or allowed, and, uh, or either on, even on his people, but mainly on his enemies, the enemies of Israel. And he would always say, so that you will know that I am the Lord your God, or to make you see my power. Speaking of power, how much power does a Christian have using the name of Jesus? Uh, Kenneth Copeland uh, was saying, quote, Wind, almighty, strong, south wind, heat, burn this thing in the name of Jesus. Satan, you bow your knees, fall on your face. COVID-19, I blow the wind of God on you. So is there anything remotely biblical, Shay, about um, using the name of Jesus to either uh, speak something, or declare something, or even in our prayers, we are taught to pray in his name. And so is is there anything biblical at all about this when it comes to either health or a sickness, or even when it comes to addressing the devil, addressing Satan? So, A couple things there. Um,
2: Obviously, the Bible teaches um, us to pray in Jesus' name. Um, ask anything in my name, and I will do for you. But That does not mean just saying, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of the prayer. I mean, saying in Jesus' name is not a magic formula. Right. It's not as if you can pray for things that are dishonoring to God, or stuff that's not God's will, and then at the end, attach in Jesus' name to it, and therefore the prayer becomes um, something that God's going to answer.
1: Yes. Now, praying
2: in Jesus' name is praying for things that agree with God's will, praying for things that Jesus... Um, desires, praying for things that are in accordance with God's um, plan. So, no, um, declaring a um, pandemic to be ended in Jesus' name is, I mean, it's a, a prayer. I think it's something we should all pray for, sure. something we should all desire. No one wants this pandemic to be continuing, costing thousands of lives. So, yeah, of course we can pray for that, but to claim it, to claim the authority when The Bible has not given us that authority, um, is not um, in any sense biblical. And to your second part, the whole um, rebuking of Satan, um, nowhere in the New Testament does the Bible describe any of the apostles um, uttering such a prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever someone starts addressing a prayer to Satan, that's getting in very dangerous territory for multiple reasons. One, Satan's not omnipresent. He's not God. He can't be in more than one place at one time. So how do you even know he can hear you? And two, why would you pray to Satan when you have the Almighty Heavenly Father who you know can hear you and loves you and um, is perfectly capable of um, addressing that prayer, um, praying to Satan or to anyone other than God, just doesn't make any sense. Um, and again, the most important thing is the Bible doesn't tell us to do that, so um, it seems particularly unwise to um, be attempting to communicate with Satan and or the demons in prayer.
1: So let me clarify what I just heard you say in those responses, uh, Shay. Uh, first of all, that when we pray in Jesus' name, that's not a formula or a tag to add on to our prayers at the end. It is actually praying according to His will that is praying in Jesus' name, correct? Exactly, yes. Okay, okay, then the second part is, and I wanna focus on what Jesus did versus what his followers or New Testament teachings or we can do with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally did address demons and Satan, and we, I, I, think, I think of an Old Testament scripture that I think it was Daniel, said uh, the Lord rebuke you. Daniel didn't even say right to Satan, I rebuke you or get out of my sight. Jesus did that, but we are to say, if we are even to do this at all, the Lord rebuke you. It's not our power, it's God's, correct?
2: Exactly, and and I think you're thinking in the book of Jude, it describes um, Michael and Satan, the Archangel Michael and Satan, arguing something about the body of Moses. And in that context, yes. the Archangel Michael, who, for what the Bible describes, seems to be the most powerful holy angel there is, um, he says, the Lord rebuke you. So if the most powerful angel um, relies on God to rebuke Satan, that I think is a warning to us that trying to rebuke Satan under our own power, even if we believe that power ultimately comes from God, that's not the way the Bible says to do it. That um, our prayers should be uttered to God, to God alone, asking for His protection, asking for His power, asking for Him to um, rebuke things or end things. So it's it's a matter of perspective. I mean, we don't want to minimize um, the power of God and what He can do in and through us. At the same time, we don't want to go beyond um, what the Word of God says we can do.
1: We're speaking with Shay Hoodman. Uh, gotquestions.org. dot org is the site. Any biblical topic or question at all, type into that search engine. And now let's talk about COVID nineteen. Shay, a very fair question that a lot of people, even some Christians, um, are asking: Why would God allow COVID nineteen? And maybe even a deeper question: Does He cause these things?
2: Um, trust me. I mean, over since this pandemic exploded on the scene. And this has been a number one question by Mm -hmm. far. Yep. Um, And I've seen a lot of other very well-intending ministers out there come up with explanations for why God allowed or even caused this. Um, And while some of their answers I think are possible explanations, (laughs) um, since God has not given us the reason, he hasn't said this is why I do this, um, we shouldn't presume i mean we can we can speculate we can give possible reasons but we shouldn't identify um a specific cause let me give you an example several years ago when there was that horrible earthquake in haiti and i mean tens of thousands of people were killed in this earthquake in haiti and some christian ministers were saying well god brought that earthquake on haiti as a judgment against all the, the voodoo that's being practiced there all the evil spirituality that's there and Okay, is that a possible explanation for what happened? Well, yes, it is. Because as you said earlier, the Bible records God bringing natural disasters upon wickedness. So yeah, it's a possible explanation, but for us to claim that's what it was for, that's uh, that's a bridge too far. That's um, mm-hmm. saying something that may be God's will and claiming that it definitely is. So whenever we're coming up with possible explanations for why God has allowed COVID-19, we need to be careful that ultimately... I don't know why God's doing it, but here are some things I could think of that might be possible explanations. Um, so I think that's a very important place to start. Yes. Um, typically how we, we've been responding to it is, look, um, it's been seen time and time and time again that when there's a horrible natural disaster or a plague like this, or just any sort of tragedy, it opens people's eyes. It wakens them up and they're more interested in spiritual things for, um, for multiple reasons, one of which they realize, you know, there's a chance I could get this virus and die. Maybe I need to, um, get right with God or to examine my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So, and we're seeing that all around the world that people are more open. They're seeking. So that's a possible explanation for why would God would allow this. There's also the, the judgment route that, um, we're seeing the world becoming increasingly wicked. Fewer and fewer people are truly seeking after God or trying to live any sort of um, moral life. So this could be a judgment from God, um, also in the sense to hopefully awake people up. So there's there's that angle on it. Um, mm. There's um, You can just go the route, like, you know, when um, humanity brought sin into the world, that Impacted all of creation. I mean, Romans eight talks about how all creation groans under the weight, waiting for Amen. the redemption that the world will eventually experience. So it could just be this is a natural result of sin, just like other plagues that have happened throughout history. This is the result of what humanity has done um, to the world, and you know something that God allows, but maybe didn't have a. There's not something well. This isn't necessarily an end times pandemic. This is just yet another and a long string of horrible diseases that's a result of sin in the world. So those are probably the most common explanations, and um, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in each of them, but um, we need to be very careful about claiming something to be the reason God has done something or allowed something when we can't actually say that, biblically speaking.
1: Uh, One thing that we know for sure is there is good coming out of this in that more people than ever before, I believe, from what uh, Google tells us, they're using uh, their search engine over at Google about – Prayer or about God, and I'm sure you guys are probably seeing an increase in traffic at God questions. Christian publishers have reported a massive spike in Bible sales during this outbreak, so there are good things happening. But I think you made an excellent point in that Jesus, remember, he said in this world you will have trouble in John 16:33, but he said, "Take heart, I have overcome the world." And I, and you say at the end of this uh, article on why would God allow COVID-19? Life for all people means facing suffering, death, and their eternal destiny. Even if we develop immunity to COVID-19, we can't escape the fact of trouble in the world. What's best for us in any situation is to seek God. And then you end with Psalm 119, verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. And isn't that what we're trying to encourage Christians to do, but also we're trying to point unbelievers to the truth of a loving and sovereign god during this time
2: exactly and um what you described earlier about people seeking and with especially with so many people being quarantined in their homes under <laughs> stay at home orders um, we're definitely seeing an increase in people seeking online which is awesome for god questions um yeah <laughs> and then combine that with um easter which um Every year, probably for the past decade, um, Good Friday and Easter Sunday are our two busiest days of the year. So in a sense, we're getting hit with a double whammy, but in a very good sense. And multiple things are working together to open people's eyes to get people interested. I've heard that um, attendance at online Easter services was um, huge Mm -hmm. for a lot of churches around the world yesterday. So uh, God is obviously taking this um, horrible tragedy, this pandemic disease, and bringing about a great good, as he always does. But yes. let's just be careful about claiming that any specific reason is um, God's overarching purpose for it, because um, we can't ultimately know that.
1: Shea Hoodman, GodQuestions.org. We're going to do um, a lot more when we come back with you. Um, one thing we're going to ask you is, uh, what does the Bible say about Christian tithing? That's one question we wanted to discuss. And also, I wanted to ask a follow-up to what we were just talking about during this time. A lot of people are struggling with obeying government orders uh, versus uh, are we disobeying God by not meeting at church? And uh, Are we supposed to obey the government? So uh, there's some, some Christian confusion I want to ask you about that as soon
0: as we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today,
1: Shay Hoodman, founder and CEO of gotquestions.org. They are busy, busy, busy over there, as probably a lot of search engines are during this time when uh, government is making a lot of uh, orders, uh, guidelines, restrictions, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to say laws necessarily, but, Shay, a lot of people, Christians, are having these discussions and debating the, the weather whether. We should continue to listen to the government and, and not meet, in other words, not have church in our building or not meet together, not fellowship, not have, get together with the body. Now, I know Romans 13, there are some guidelines about obeying authorities, governing authorities. Please give us some insight on that.
2: It's a tough issue, and it's getting tougher as more and more Christians, I mean, go for a longer time without meeting with mm-hmm. their brothers and sisters in Christ in church Coming harder and harder to obey the law because they're not the law, as you said, the guidelines or instructions or whatever you want to call them. Um, just as you said, I mean, Romans chapter 13 tells us to obey um, the government that God has placed over us. And the only instance we're not to obey is if the government gives us a law that um, contradicts what God's word says. And that's where this becomes difficult because God's word does say. Um, do not forsake the gathering together
0: hmm. that
2: we are to be encouraging one another, loving one another, or fellowshipping with one another or serving one another. And it's difficult to do that um, over the phone, over um, Zoom or Skype or WebEx um, online conferencing programs. So um, I don't entirely, I'm not hundred percent sure what the right position to have is. I mean, I was watching the news last night and talked about this uh, church I think was down in Georgia who for Easter did a drive-in service where everyone just pulled into the parking lot, stayed in their cars, had the the windows rolled up. So it was entirely in obedience with the um, requirements. There's no chance of the virus spreading. And they basically listened to the worship service and the sermon via the radio in their car. Mm -hmm. And yet the government came and... Gave everyone um, a fine for um, doing that, and yet right down the road there's a drive-through liquor store that people could go buy booze. Um, (laughs) Why? Why is the which is since they have to roll down their window or actually go into the store in order to purchase it, which is far more likely to spread the virus than what was going on at the church service. So I think the government's being Um, very inconsistent in how they're applying this. Right. Um, I think the right thing for Christians to do, since this this is a temporary thing, it's not like the government is thinking you're never going to be allowed to meet again. It's just when the virus is at its peak transmission period, um, let's not meet together, except in very limited fashion, to slow the spread. So it seems reasonable for Christians to abide by that for a limited amount of time, especially considering you can't have the full church fellowship experience online. You can still meet, encourage one another, pray for one another. Um, There's still a lot of what we can do in a church sense without meeting together. So my standpoint is let's um, continue to obey the instructions of our president, our governors, our mayors um, until such a time that either they're requirements are um, so onerous that civil disobedience would be the right thing to do, or hopefully the virus um, gets knocked down to such a level that is not as big of a risk Mm -hmm. and that we can start meeting together again. But like I was telling you in the break, I mean, I've got friends who are civil disobedience now. (laughs) Churches should start meeting. doesn't matter how many people together. I'm like, "Eh, I, I don't think that's the right move either. Um, And then I have other Christians who are just like, no, I'm going to hide in my home until I'm convinced the virus is completely gone from the world. Like, well, I I don't know that that's the right idea either. I think the truth is somewhere in between.
1: Mm. Uh, There are a few, and maybe a few is even an understatement. There are some governors in different states that are using this as a definite power grab, and it really is— not shocking, but it's eye-opening when you see the extent that some of them are willing to go. And it's not just the double standard when it comes to Christians meeting. It's just trying to insist their, the citizens live a certain way or get used to a certain thing. It's really shocking. But uh, there is some good news. Um, Attorney General Barr is monitoring The government regulation of church services, religious services. The DOJ, Department of Justice, put out this statement a couple days ago. While social distancing policies are appropriate during this emergency, they must be applied even-handedly and not single out religious organizations. And that's what you just said. And we are seeing some of that happen. And. They said, the director of the DOJ said, expect action from the Department of Justice this week. So they're probably going to give some guideline to the governors, and there are some power-hungry that, I mean, they're human. They have a lust for power. But to go on to the next question, Shay, uh, we appreciate your time with us. And um, what's the difference between tithing, giving, making a donation, charitable uh, donations, and what does the Bible say about Christians? What is our responsibility as far as our local church?
2: It's a very interesting question, and um, something that's, again, kind of back to the unique situation we're dealing with this pandemic, and that not being able to go to church, a lot of people are having to find alternate ways to give, Mm -hmm. whether that's online or sending a check in the mail, et cetera. So we've been getting this question more often recently as well. So um, the tithe, which literally means a tenth, is an Old Testament concept. If you read in the Old Testament law, there's multiple places where um, the Israelites were required to give a tithe. So it's interesting, in the the modern sense, most people think of the tithe as, I need to give 10% of my income um, to the church and or to other um, Christian causes. Well, in the Old Testament, in the same year, um, the Israelites were required to give the tithe multiple times. You give it at a certain time at harvest, another time for this, another time for this. and So actually it wasn't, if you add three times you're giving 10%, so you give 10%, then later you give 10% of what's left, and then later 10% of what's left. Uh, I've, I'm not sure, don't quote me on the math, because I'm not sure this number is correct, but <laughs> I've heard multiple times that it actually adds up to 23 and a third hmm. percent that the Israelites were required to give. So taking the Old Testament tithe system and saying, well, they did in the Old Testament. Therefore, we used to do it today. Well, if that's the case, we should be giving three times yes. <laughs> um, per year, which would add up to way more than just ten percent. But setting that aside for a second, when you get to the New Testament, um, it talks about giving sacrificially, giving cheerfully,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, not giving under compulsion. I'm um, blanking on the verse, but I know it's in Second Corinthians where it talks about this. So the tithe is actually not taught in the um, New Covenant concept, and that um, Jesus mentions it a few times, saying that, um, that for those who were still under the law at that time, yes, you should continue to tithe. But once um, Jesus' death fulfilled the law, there's no teaching in the New Testament epistles on the Christians should give a specific 10%. But kind of throughout history, um, Christians have seemed to take taken the 10% concept of a good place to start that 10% is a reasonable amount that Christians should give that represents, um, sacrificial giving. So a lot of Christians take that number and still apply that today, which I think is fine. Ultimately how I usually instruct people is, um, pray to God, Mm. ask God to lay on your heart how much, um, he wants you to give and then respond accordingly. Um, Sometimes that may mean giving 10%, sometimes less, sometimes more. It's a, it's a matter of us being um, humble servants willing to give as the Lord leads, not just saying, oh, I gave my 10%, therefore um, I no longer have to give mm. to anyone or anything. That's not the right attitude either. So it's not a checklist. It's not a here's the absolute minimum you have to do, and then you do that, and then you're good. No, it's you need to be open to God um, speaking to you in the still small voice sense and the um, laying on your heart sense of um, expressing his will to you and then following that. Um, so yeah, um, my wife prayed about this throughout our marriage and um, generally speaking, um, look, seek to give around 10% to our local church and then give to other um, people, causes, um, ministries above and beyond that. And so mm-hmm. that's what, the lord has laid on our hearts and i'm not i would never say that's what god wants everyone to do but that seems to be how he's convicted us consistently in our lives together so that's that's what we do but um, um that may or may not be what god has for you
1: i like how you said 10 percent is a good place to start because a lot of people don't even give that and there's so many scriptures in the bible that talk the principles of giving sowing and reaping uh second corinthians 9 may be where you were referring to when it says he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart and god loves a cheerful giver jesus talked a lot about giving uh generosity um taking care of those in need and some of you know we're all in different levels of income too but should that matter in the sense that God owns it all. He Everything we have <laughs> belongs to Him. And uh, so with, with that in mind, we need to be continually, I think, reminded that God owns it, we are here as His stewards, and we need, to, I think all of us, myself, and I'm pointing the finger at me too, could be a little bit more generous in our financial giving. What are your thoughts?
2: Uh, amen, I entirely agree. I- I think it was. Um, I'm trying to remember which um, preacher I, I first heard this from, and his instructions were to give until it hurts, and then give a little bit more.
1: Hmm. Um,
2: and that represents a sacrifice. If if what you're giving doesn't actually hurt, is it really a sacrifice? No, it's not. And in the in the in the Old Testament law, when they most of their sacrifices animal sacrifices or grain sacrifices. This is their food. This is their livelihood that they're sacrificing. So mm. it definitely represents um, something that hurts in that sense. So uh, I'm not saying give so much that you can't pay your bills or you right. can't provide for your family, but that's unbiblical as well. But if what you're giving doesn't actually in any sense hurt, you have to question whether that's truly sacrificial giving.
1: Um, I think a lot of people, I don't want to be redundant, but if there's any other insight you can give to this, a lot of people look at a Melchizedek giving a tenth uh, to Abraham and using that as a model. Um, again, that's Old Testament, and uh, is there any other insight you can share on that point?
2: Uh, um, that's interesting in that um, Melchizedek giving to Abraham, um, that was before um, God had actually given the law. Mm-hmm. So the um, the concept of a tenth seemed to have predate the law, but nowhere before the law was it ever commanded. Hmm. So it seems to be it seems to be a um, understood amount that you would give in a, a religious context. So yeah, I think there's just um, from the fact that in a lot of church history that's been the recommended um, giving amount, and it seems to be I mean it's the one amount if you're looking for an amount to give, that's, that's it. That's the, the 10% seems to be, um, mentioned n- numerous times throughout the Bible. So, um, yeah, it, I, I would just counsel people, um, give, give what you think the Lord has, give, has placed on your heart to give, but don't look at it as a a checkbox. Okay. Mm. I've, I've been to church four times this month. I've given my 10%. Um, Therefore, my responsibilities are done. Yes. Like, no, <laughs> you still need to be open to other opportunities to mm-hmm. to give, to serve, to do the things that the Bible instructs us to, because that's the difference between living under law and living under grace. Uh, under law, Old Testament, hey, you give your 23 and a third, and that's all the that law requires of you. New Testament to go away from just following the law to living under grace, and um, grace would tell us, you know, just as God has been gracious to us, we should be gracious to others. And sometimes that may mean giving significantly more than ten percent. Other mm-hmm. times, maybe not. Um, just give out of love and give as a act of worship, as a um, sacrifice to thank God for how abundantly He has um, provided for you.
1: Uh, Shay, are you guys a five hundred one C three you nonprofit? we are yes okay so there are a lot of ministries a lot of nonprofits that are still operating i would say the majority of them despite the covid craziness covid 19 craziness so i just want to remind our listeners that there are great organizations out there that are still doing good for the kingdom of god and they're still ministering to people so continue and i i believe there are some people that maybe have forgotten to tithe for a month because they haven't been in church so very good point you made Most churches probably have an online option, but if you have to, please use snail mail and send your local church where you attend a check. Um, Our ministry, we're doing a a fundraiser in two weeks, our uh, biannual uh, Q drive. So a lot of ministries got questions and more. One more uh, before we have to let you go, Shay. And this this is a bizarre one. I didn't know what smudging was. But I was going through your website, and I came across this uh, Native American ceremony, but some, I guess some Christians have been using this kind of idea or these practices. What on earth is smudging, and does the Bible say anything about it? Um, I
2: had to look up the article real quick to refresh my memory on what it is, because um, I, I haven't heard anything about it recently. But um, Well, here's the like interesting thing.
1: The, the like the the um, because of I, this comes back to what Kenneth Copeland was doing um, in, in a way. I think uh, telling the devil to flee or the coronavirus to flee, uh, smudging. I, I guess from what I understand is they they used to use uh, certain herbs and sticks or whatever, and they used to do that in reference to purchasing uh, a home or something like that, or to bless a home uh, in order to rid it of negative energy. Um, and this—that sounds like a New Age thing, but s- I guess some Christians started kind of looking at that practice.
2: Yeah, there's. Um, it's, it's interesting how many times that we see Christians taking something that's ultimately um, part of a um, non-Christian religion and trying to, in a sense, adapt it mm-hmm. to the Christian faith. And <laughs> I mean, the in the Old Testament sacrificial system, there was some things that involved like incense and certain oils that had sense to them, Mm -hmm. but they were all symbols. They weren't actually nowhere in the Bible to describe burn this certain herb and demons will be forced to flee or um, burn this in incense stick or this. (laughs) I might be hurting someone's feelings. Use this essential oil. And therefore God is obligated to, do a certain thing. So no, that's not um, biblical at all. Um, ultimately, um, if you want your home blessed, if you want um, um, any spiritual darkness to be um, removed from your home or place of work or whatever, I mean, prayer is the biblical way of doing that. Um,
1: Amen. Prayer. Praying
2: in faith that, mm-hmm. um, Lord, I, I have a sense that there's something going on in my home or my family that's um, spiritually dark. I ask for your protection. I ask for you to um, rid my home of whatever is causing this. And we dedicate our family and our home to you and ask for your blessing, your protection. And um, that would be the biblical way to approaching it, rather than thinking that by engaging in a certain ceremony or burning certain things, lighting certain candles in certain areas, and none of that has any biblical basis to it. So, um, so yeah, always important to examine other re- Just because something was invented by someone of a different religion doesn't necessarily make it wrong. But at the same time, anything that we're doing in a spiritual sense, we need to make sure it has a solid biblical foundation, because if it doesn't, it can be very dangerous.
1: So I think it all comes back to what you said, prayer, knowing the Word of God being able to just have access to that word when we need it. God promises to protect us, and we are to do certain things, like resist the devil, he will flee from you. But it's always in the how that gets us in trouble sometimes. How do we resist that? There's evil spirits. How do we get rid of these evil spirits? Well, now we're thinking like you know Hollywood or New Age or whatever. So, Shay, I wish we had more time, but uh, thank you so much. We'll have to do this again. I'm sure you guys are going to continue to be bombarded with questions about God's sovereignty and Coronavirus, sickness, diseases, and evil, but you've provided a lot of good answers for us, and we thank you for your ministry at gotquestions.org. God bless you, brother.
2: Thank you. It's great to be on the show, and hope we can do it again sometime soon.
1: We will. Thank you, Shay. All right. Uh, when All we right. come back, there is an article that um, I mentioned earlier. I want to get into that a little bit because it's good news. Christian publishers are reporting increased sales of the Bible. So there are some good things happening, and I just want to talk to
0: you a little bit about that when we come back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo.
1: All right. The article that I was mentioning before we took a break, a Christian publishers report massive Spike in Bible sales during the coronavirus outbreak. I thought this was very interesting. As as Americans who uh, usually occupy themselves with busy social calendars, uh, they're pondering the meaning of life while the coronavirus pandemic continues to spread in different parts of the country. Many are turning to the Bible according to Christian publishers. Uh, Alabaster Company, it's a California business that sells uh, visually rich individuals' uh, books of the Bible. It's been seeing a sales increase of 143% over last year, and they're saying, quote, We live in a visual culture. Everyone makes images, and we are shaped by what we see. We value bringing this visual reality to a faith-based context. We believe in the divine inspiration, trustworthiness, and authority of the Bible. And we bring this into every, and we bring this into everything we make and do, the company said on their website. Um, so very interesting thing in this life-altering and unprecedented pandemic, people are looking for hope and restoration. The co-founder of the business uh, told uh, Fox News. His name is Brian Chung, and he's the co-founder of Alabaster. Um, even amidst suffering and financial hardship, we've continued to see people engage, Uh, by utilizing these resources and purchasing Bibles as encouraging gifts for loved ones. Stop right there. I think we have an idea. Is this a good idea or is this a God idea? How about buying a few Bibles? Everyone is ordering things online. Wherever you go, um, I'm not going to point you to Amazon or Book World or whatever, but wherever you want to support that sells Bibles, go into your local Christian store. I think they're still open. Um, If there's one near you, buy a few Bibles or devotionals. Give them to people who might be searching for answers. That is a good idea. Uh, He continues, we believe uh, people are buying Bibles because there's a longing to connect with God and find meaning and experience peace. And uh, there's a tweet that someone sent out, coronavirus outbreak spurs Record Bible purchases. So, friends, brothers, sisters, family, isn't that good news? Bible sales are at record levels already. Now, we know even before this, it's cons- consistently been the best-selling book of all time. But now, more people might be opening it up and actually reading it, not just buying it and having it on their shelf collecting dust. People are looking for answers, how, how are we doing as the body of Christ? Giving them answers, whether that's social media, a phone call, an email, um, going to—I don't know if you can go visit—you uh, know—a family member that's close to you that does not know the Lord. People are searching for answers. Yes, uh, you heard that question we talked about. Some people are blaming God. They say, "How could God? How could a loving God allow this or cause this?" And we answered the question during, I believe, segment one. Why would God allow COVID-19? Well, rewind to go back to segment one if you're listening to the podcast. Um, but go to gotquestions.org. You know, there's so many people that have answers that are giving you resources that you can share with someone who might be more open to seeking these days. So now I want to cross over to uh, something that maybe is not so good. It's happening right now, and the governor of Michigan. Oh my goodness, is she becoming a tyrant? Um, there's an article. So many articles. Just just look up her name, um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. My goodness, she's coming against the church. And um, this particular article is over at ChristianNews.net. Michigan Governor exempts free speech from stay-at-home order amid lawsuit from a Christian cited by police. Okay, here's another one of those situations uh, that talks about the First Amendment. Um, Does executive order, this is the Michigan order, 2020-42. Does this executive order prohibit persons from engaging in outdoor activities that are protected by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution? No. No. Persons may engage in expressive activities protected by the First Amendment within the state of Michigan and probably your state, too, wherever you're listening right now. But, you know, you must adhere to social distancing measures recommended by the CDC, including remaining at least six feet from people outside the person's household. Let's stop right there. Um, David uh, Benham was arrested in North Carolina in Charlotte. He was more than six feet away from those other volunteers that were part of a ministry outside of an abortion business that had more than 15 people inside, by the way, and they were not practicing social distancing. Understand that point. This is happening in probably every state. Abortion businesses allow people to come in and out all day long, not wearing masks. They have to be served, and they're how do they get away with it? Well, they're calling it, Essential. They're putting it under the health or medical category, and most of you know we're passionate on this podcast about what abortion actually is—eliminating a human life in the womb, in a mother's womb. You are taking life. You are not preserving life. You are not protecting life. You're not trying to keep a virus from this baby, are you? No, you want to kill the baby, so you're not concerned about the, the coronavirus when it comes to the baby's rights. Anyway, that's what they're. That's what is happening in abortion clinics across the country. More people are in there. There's more than 8, more than 10, but they're not getting cited. But yet David Benham was not only cited but arrested and several others. There's stories popping up at different uh, clinics outside on public sidewalks. They're obeying social distancing guidelines, but they're still being cited and or arrested. It happened to some friends of ours down in Milwaukee on Saturday. There was this young woman who was taken in, away in a police car. I saw the video, she wasn't resisting, she was just saying, why am I being arrested? Why aren't we allowed to be here on a public sidewalk? She wasn't next to a lot of people, but yet there are people in the parking lot coming and going, oh my goodness, and that was outside of a Walmart, I believe. She just had a sign about what abortion is, she's a pro-life advocate, and she was out there, and so they pulled up three police cars, and there's a small group of people not even standing next to each other, Again, there seems to be a double standard. This is our concern. So, what's happening in Michigan? I've read I more than a half dozen stories about what this governor is doing. Again, her name is Gretchen. I'm sorry, Gretchen. Gretchen Whitmer, and oh my goodness, um, there's some problems here. And as we said earlier, not all governors are doing this. Thankfully, the Trump administration, Department of Justice, is looking into this, and there will be action this week against these power-hungry governors. Something has to. The citizens of the country have to have their freedoms. They have to be protected, right? So it's sad that when sometimes we have to be protected by our own governors. Um, as previously reported, back to this article, and I've only got a couple minutes left. Uh, Andrew Belanger, who is associated with One Life, he was standing alone outside of a a women's center, and this is in lower Michigan, I believe, Scottsdale in Michigan, um, when several police cruisers pulled up to confront him. Miles O'Brien and Justin Phillips, who are also part of his organization, they weren't there, but they found out what was happening. They soon arrived and uh, noted the significant police presence. This was one man. I saw the video. One man. And this is a story out of Lansing, Online footage captures an officer saying, we're here for a violation of the stay-at-home order by the governor. This isn't essential to be out right now. It's a $500 fine. If you keep this up up after that, we'll take you to jail. Uh, One of the men subsequently uh, contends that the order allows residents to go outside and asks why they cannot do so. This is in Michigan now. The officer who advised that his supervisor was on the way asked if the men are doing anything essential That and uh, said, if my boss ordered me to lock everybody up, that's what we're going to do. So again, power-hungry officials are using the words essential as in essential business, essential operation. Are you essential? Well, we're... Not well, we, yes, but these people that are outside peacefully trying to minister to women and save their baby's life, they're outside an abortion clinic. They're trying to save life. The clinic's taking life inside the womb, and they're not obeying social distancing guidelines because there's oftentimes there's more than ten, more than fifteen people in these abortion mills, these clinics. So they're doing business as usual. So what exactly is essential? This is a debate this this is it's, it's been recommended but not clearly set down as law. There's going to be lawsuits in this country, unfortunately. Um, so one of the men um, said that the order allows residents to go outside. They should be able to do that. They tell the officer that it's unjust to allow abortion facilities to continue killing unborn children while a few people are standing outside to, to pray and try to save those babies' lives and encourage mothers to... Um, save the life of their babies, Uh, they're being threatened with arrest. Now, this is not just in Michigan, Uh, North Carolina, Texas... Um, I've seen just different articles from different states in the country, and we do want to obey God. We don't do want to do. They even said that God says, "Do not, thou shalt not murder." We're trying to prevent people from murdering. Anyway, it comes down to that debate, right? Is that a human life in, in a mother's womb? Are you murdering a preborn life, or, or are you just removing some some dead tissue that doesn't have any DNA, or doesn't have a heartbeat, it doesn't have any nerves and and everything else? So. This is the unfortunate side of what's happening. But um, one quote here I found fascinating. I think I'm going to write about this today. Um, If you can go to Home Depot, Walmart, grocery stores, liquor stores, marijuana stores, pet stores, abortion centers, and not get contaminated, then can you go to work or church and not get contaminated there too? That was last week's guest, Kathy Barnett, who is running for Congress in a fourth congressional district in Pennsylvania. Um, We're going to have her back on, right? We didn't even get to the the bulk of her story, but there's a lot of people raising good questions, and I'm out of time, but I I would share with you a couple more to be continued uh,
0: tomorrow or the next day. Um, When we come back, we'll let you know the guests the rest of the week. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media, Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth.
1: Uh, So excited uh, to tell you just uh, some of the many guests we have coming up. I even want to give you a sneak peek into next week, uh, a new um, guest, Trey Kent. He's got a book called City of Prayer, and boy, if if there's any time that we needed to Pray more and learn more about prayer and how it helps not just individually, personally, your church, but your city. And, of course, our country, our leaders. Um, So we're having him on next week. Um, uh, A week from now, Stephen Bancars is coming back with us. Can't wait to talk to him again. He put out a phenomenal video over the Resurrection Weekend. Phenomenal. I'd encourage you to go check it out. Stephen Bancars, he's on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, his website. Reasons for Jesus. Um, thanks to Shay from Got Questions today. Tomorrow we'll be hearing from Rebecca Kiesling, Save the One, and uh, John Haller is going to give us a prophecy update, the Corona version on Thursday. I love John, man. Uh, just I learn so much every time I hear him. And then Friday, the news and views. A podcast with crash and i going through a massive amount of headlines and local and regional news and world news that we don't have a chance to cover um, as much during the week so thank you again please share the podcasts on social media that's how this program gets out there god bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter